0: Hello, and welcome once again to the Main Point Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Giles.
1: And Tracy Giles.
0: And this is the third part in our series called Hebraic Origins of Christianity. And today's topic will be salvation. So we're going to dive right in.
1: Regarding the term salvation, why is Passover viewed as the most famous holiday practiced by the Jewish people? and why should it be important to Christians?
0: Well, Passover is important because it represents the historical significance of God delivering the people of Israel, the Hebrews, like we've discussed in previous uh, podcasts, from Egyptian bondage, and forming them into a confederated nation for the first time in history. He basically saved them, which is where we get the word salvation. The story surrounding this Jewish or Hebraic holiday can be found in the book of Exodus chapter one through 15, Now, what's interesting is that what Christians call the Last Supper was actually a type of Passover celebration, which is one reason it should be important to Christians. Listen to the story in the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 7 through 20, to prove this point.
1: Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large, furnished upper room, there make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So the Passover holiday could serve a significant purpose for Christians. Why?
0: Well, it could, and in several ways. Number one, <clears throat> by participating in it, it increases our biblical li- literacy. By celebrating it on an annual basis, it would help Christians become more familiar with the actual historical event by reviewing the story as it happened in the book of Exodus. The second reason is it increases our Christ's significance in our lives. Just as the ancient Hebrew people were delivered, saved, you know, that term salvation, from slavery to the egyptians through the death and blood of the passover lamb metaphorically christ delivers the christian from bondage to sin through his death and blood and by focusing on this one point during the passover celebration it increases christ's significance to christians it also reinforces what it means to be saved and deepens our love and appreciation for him if you think about it christians do this regularly with the holidays of christmas and easter even though neither of those holidays are specifically mentioned anywhere in our Bibles, Passover, on the other hand, is mentioned repeatedly. Listen to the story of Passover that Paul mentioned in the, his letter to the Corinthians uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26, where he's referring to the Passover.
1: "For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread.
0: Another reason, number th- the third reason why I believe the Passover should be significant in the life of the Christian is because it increases Hebraic heritage, the Hebraic her- heritage that we all have. By increasing our knowledge of the historical event that created the Christian faith, it can only serve to solidify such faith. And then, number four, it would increase Christ's witness in our lives or the Christian witness. By actively participating in this annual holiday, Christians will gain opportunities to explain its significance to others, just as Christians explain, well at least I hope they explain, Christ's significance in the Christmas and Easter holidays.
1: A divisive issue that sometimes brought up in Christian circles when salvation is discussed is the concept of grace versus law. What does this concept mean?
0: well the grace versus law debate at its core is a debate between whether christians are still bound by many of the mandates of the old testament or should christians uh, thereby live only by the new testament i've even heard it described as grace versus torah as if the two were opposed to one another i would say that both would apply in my opinion because jesus comes to provide forgiveness and redemption when we break god's law or god's torah and he simultaneously empowers and encourages us to continue to live out the still applicable mandates of God's law or God's Torah. Now, if you recall in our previous podcast on the scriptures, um, that was part two, the Hebrew word Torah doesn't mean law. It actually means instruction for achieving a goal or desired result. And what is that goal or desired result of the Torah? Well, it's laid out clearly in scripture in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 40.
1: But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets.
0: So, in other words, the purpose of the Torah is to give us instruction for accomplishing that specific goal. Now, grace, on the other hand, is defined as unearned favor and assistance given to human beings to accomplish this task of the Torah, which involves both salvation and sanctification. For instance, when the Lord delivered the ancient Israelites from Egyptian bondage, he did so graciously prior to giving them his law. Or his Torah in the wilderness. In other words, he delivered them before they received the law. The deliverance came first. So, in that instance, we see grace and law or grace and Torah working in complete conjunction with one another.
1: How does Jesus help Christians accomplish the goal of the law or the Torah?
0: Great question. He does so in the seven following ways. Number one, he absorbs our punishment for breaking the law or breaking the Torah. Number two, he removes the stain and the filth of our sin, according to the Torah. Number three, he reconciles our relationship with God the Father, which was broken by sin. Number four, he injects his spirit within us, empowering us to live out the Torah. Number five, he opens our eyes so that we can fully understand and apply the Torah. Number six, he intercedes for us to God the Father as our high priest. And number seven, he establishes us as righteous before God the Father prior to us doing any works whatsoever. whatsoever. So, as you can see, God's grace, well, I'm sorry, as you can see, God's uh, grace and law, I apologize, grace and law, you can put it as Jesus and Moses, uh, you can say it like Old and New Testament, are not opposite. They work together in a type of synergy in accomplishing salvation. That's the best way to look at it.
1: So grace versus law is a non-issue as far as you're concerned?
0: Exactly. Besides, most people misdefine it. It's actually not grace versus law they're against. It's grace versus legalism that puts most people off.
1: What is grace versus legalism?
0: Well, we've already defined grace as unearned favor and assistance given by God to human beings to accomplish a task. We know that task being... The, uh, love your neighbor with your with all your heart love the Lord with all your heart mind soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself that's the whole purpose that God gave us the Torah so God gives us grace so that we can do that now that task of course uh, legalism um, legalism is the attempt to accomplish this very same task without the assistance of God's grace okay I'm going to say that again Legalism is the attempt to accomplish that task without the assistance of God's grace. We cannot fulfill the mandates of the Torah outside of God's grace. Okay, And thereby, when we try to do that, we're trying to earn God's favor through our independent efforts. We have to ask ourselves the age old question, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? I would argue that it's God's grace that comes first, and as a result of that grace, we are able to live out the mandates of the Torah. Remember, Israel was delivered from Egypt prior to them learning to abide by God's law. We can't earn God's favor independently through our own works. We have God's favor through His Son Jesus Christ and therefore have the ability to perform the works that He has laid out for us to do. The Apostle Paul put it this way in his letter to the Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8-10. through 10.
1: For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them.
0: There you have it. We must always remember that no one has ever been or ever will be good enough to earn God's grace. The Israelites were literally slaves in Egypt and had nothing of worth or value to offer to God in exchange for His grace. He simply freely gave it to them out of His abundance of compassion. He puts it this way in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter seven, verse six through eight.
1: For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for Himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love on you nor chose you because you were more in number than any other people for you were the least of all peoples but because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt
0: and the apostle Paul put it this way in his letter to the Romans chapter 3 verse 23 through 24
1: For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus.
0: And like the ancient nation of Egypt, being saved by grace through faith is only the beginning of our spiritual journey toward the promised land of perfection in Christ Jesus. As they went from being slaves to Egypt to being slaves to God, so do Christians who accept God's free gift of grace in Jesus Christ. We figuratively, in the same way, Go from being slaves to sin to being slaves to righteousness or obedience. The Apostle Paul put it this way in his letter to the Romans in chapter 6, verse 16 through 18.
1: Do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked. That though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Amen. So when God saves us, as he saved the ancient nation of Israel, would you call this type of, well, what would you call this type of redemption?
0: Well, it is redemption. Um, It is a type of redemption. Um, Basically, he bought us back by transferring ownership to himself. Therefore, as our new owner, he has sole authority over us. And according to the Apostle Paul, he redeemed us in the following ways. Number one, he redeemed us from a life of lawlessness or Torahlessness. Okay. Uh, Number two, he redeemed us to be his own special people. And number three, he redeemed us to be zealous For good works. So he redeemed us from one owner to a new owner, kind of like us in a slave trade, right? From one owner to a new owner. Um, It's spelled out really clearly in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14.
1: For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Exactly. So to confirm, the messages, stories, and insights of the Old Testament should be applied to the Christian today?
0: Yes, they should. But not always literally, but figuratively in many instances. The reason they should be applied is because all of the Bible, as we discussed in the previous podcast on the scriptures, is God's written revelation to us. But as we move through the Bible, we will notice that God is revealing key aspects of himself to us deliberately and gradually over time. This is known theologically as progressive revelation. An example of which would be God delivering the ancient nation of Egypt from bondage, uh, I'm sorry, the ancient nation of Israel from bondage to the Egyptians, and him doing the same for us spiritually in our bondage to sin and the devil. And progressive revelation doesn't mean that earlier books of the Bible are inferior to or canceled by later books of the Bible. The books simply build upon one another to tell a complete story of how God redeems his people, right, how he saves them, the nation of Israel, of which we're part of because our Savior Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. We're not part of it, we are now part of his faith race. It's not about skin color, it's not about um, ethnicity anymore, it's about faith. And he's created a faith race the nation of Israel, the very house of David and house of God. And to wrap up, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22, which kind of sums this up.
1: Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit.
0: And there you have it. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. Again, this is the third installment of Hebraic Origins of Our Christianity. The subject again was salvation. Stay tuned. We'll be back next week is our goal. Uh, where We'll go to part three of this 10-part series. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Stephen Giles.
1: And Tracy Giles.
0: Main Point Ministries. Have a blessed one.